This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by Bill Landis of The Athletic, where he covers the Ohio State Buckeyes football team. Bill, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Um, what uh, I like to ask guests before we get started on um, what they're reading as of late or what they're watching as of late. Is there anything in particular you would recommend? Uh, I am actually in the middle. You, I don't read a ton, but you actually caught me at a time when I happen to be reading a book right now. And okay. uh, that is, uh, I'm reading a book called uh, Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman, which is mm. about the Shaq and Kobe Laker dynasty and Phil Jackson Laker dynasty. And uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through, maybe a little more than that. Uh, mm. And it's great. Um, that was a team. I was, I was a uh, teenager ish. Yeah. Teenager when that team was playing and I was actually a, a Sixers fan. So I get to watch that team beat the team that I was rooting for in a final. So it's kind of cool to see the behind the scenes of, of what was one of the greatest dynasties of all time. So I, I highly rec- recommend that book and really anything that Jeff Perlman writes. All of his books are good. I, um, I read the USFL book. It's like anything for a buck. Is that what it's called? I think, uh, football for a buck. football for a buck. That's what yeah. it is. Um, yeah, I think it's on my bookshelf behind me, but it's all very good. Very well researched. Jeff is Jeff's great. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, that's a good one. Um, I'm reading this book called euphoria. Have you read that? I have not. Ooh, highly recommend if you are a fiction guy. I know you said you're not an avid book connoisseur bill but uh, i would recommend it if you're trying to dip your toes into some some fiction i would i would recommend it i am i am looking to expand my horizons a bit and not read only sports books and that's what <laughs> i do for a living so i will i will add that to my list yeah man it, it's good we got to have diversity we're gonna get burnt out if we just uh allocate all of our time to to sports um but don't That's forget, right. folks, you can listen to this podcast by going to chasehomespodcast.com and leaving the show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So do that right now if you are on your iPhone. And subscribe to theathletic.com where you can read Bill at The Athletic and all the great college football and college basketball coverage because it is March Madness this week. So if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, go ahead and do that today. I'm subscribed. It's great. A lot of friends over there. They do great work like Bill. So go do that. Um, I wanted to have you on tonight, Bill, because I am very, very curious about the Ohio State spring quarterback competition. We didn't have a real spring last year, so a lot of quarterback competitions didn't really happen, and they kind of played their way out in the middle of the season by just people playing bad. Um, Ohio State's a different situation because we don't really see this a lot with these power five just juggernauts where, like, DJ Ugalehi, I know I butchered his name. I'm going to butcher his name forever. Um, he's just penciled in. Bryce Young, just penciled in. But then you have Ohio State where it's like, hmm, it 
is McCord going to get a shot? Is CJ Stroud the favorite? Is there st- like is there questions about why they didn't dip their toes into the transfer portal? Um, let's start with whether or not, in your estimation, Bill, that this is a true open quarterback competition this spring under Ryan Day. I think it is. I think it has to be almost by default because there's there's not really anything in the way of like an incumbent returner. You have C.J. Stroud and you have Jack Miller who both came in together in the 2020 recruiting class. They were freshmen last year. It was such a weird year that the both of them combined to play 18 snaps. Neither one of them threw a pass. Um, each of them had a, had a rushing touchdown. Um, CJ's was uh, a little bit longer, a little more noteworthy than, than Jack's were, but that's all they did. They just came to the game. They mostly handed the ball off, and they had got a couple of carries each and, and scored a couple of touchdowns. They did not throw a pass. We don't know anything about these guys. And, and yeah. like clearly Ryan Day and, and his staff do because they got to watch practice, uh, and those guys obviously did some stuff there, but no, no real significant game experience to speak of. And the kid that's coming in, Kyle McCord, is the first five-star quarterback they've signed out of high school since Braxton Miller. And, and before that, the, the one was Terrell Pryor. So it's not like it's a common thing that they sign five-star quarterbacks out of high school. So it's a big deal that he's coming in, and he's super talented, like most players that come to Ohio State out of high school. So I do. I think it's wide open. And, and to your point, it's kind of strange because – it doesn't happen, I think, at this level very often, as you mentioned, and I feel like it happens even less frequently at a place like Ohio State. I was trying to go back through that today, and mm-hmm. in 2018 spring, it was Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, and it felt like a pretty even competition, and we weren't sure where that was going to go. But other than that, I, I honestly don't know the last time this has happened. It might be going back to like the early 2000s, because even in 2015, when Ohio State had JT Barrett and Cardell jones jt barrett was injured in the spring so he there wasn't a spring there was a competition but it wasn't happening at this point in the calendar so this is rare for ohio state but i do believe it is really wide open would you consider based on who you've talked to and based on what you know about ryan day that cj stroud should be considered the favorite um i would say the favorite might be too strong uh, slight leader, I think, is something I'd be more comfortable with, mm. and that's that's really only based on a very small piece of information, which is twice during last season something happened to Justin Fields. I forget the one was when he got hit on the hip against Clemson and had to come out for one snap, and he had to come out for a snap against, um, I believe it was Michigan State, and. Uh, the guy who came off the bench in that case was C.J. Stroud. Now, he handed the ball off twice. That was all that happened. He came in, handed the ball off, came off. Justin Fields came back on and, and played well the rest of both those games. But that, to me, at least said that, okay, something has happened over the course of these few weeks of the season, these these practices where Ryan Day has seen these guys to make C.J. Stroud the guy that they're going to turn to in an emergency. But, again, he just handed the ball off, so I don't know how much stock you actually put into that. Outside of that, there's not really been anything to suggest that, that CJ Stroud has a major, major lead here. I think it might be slight. You, you hear some, some rumblings of that and that he's been impressing people, but you know, Jack Miller's impressed people too. And I think Kyle McCord's been really impressed since he got on campus in January. I feel like Jack Miller winning the job is like doomsday scenario for Ohio state fan sanity, right? Like Jack Miller winning. Yeah. Who's rooting yeah. for Jack Miller? <laughs> that, well, that's yeah. You almost feel bad for him. Cause I, 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 I do think there probably is – I think that Ohio State just wants over the best quarterback to, to – Yeah. Whoever it is, that's what they want to win the job. And, mm-hmm. and I do think 
Jack Miller's got an interesting story because he committed to Urban Meyer. Um, he committed early. He kind of stayed committed through sort of all the turmoil that happened with Urban Meyer and Zach Smith and the coaching chains to Ryan Day. Like, Jack Miller never wavered. He stayed pretty loyal to the Buckeyes. And, and I think on some level, Ohio State fans appreciate that. But then later in that recruiting cycle, C.J. Stroud becomes the hottest thing going, and Ohio State somehow lands him too. So people kind of forget about him. And it's not surprising that, like, the way it works, it's always what have you done for me lately sort of in, in these recruiting battles. And C.J. Stroud ends up ranked higher. And, and that's usually the thing that, that gives people all starry eye. Um, Jack Miller was a really good high school quarterback who, who would have been pretty highly ranked if not for some injuries in high school. So he, he's a kid who's definitely, I think, talented enough to start at quarterback at Ohio State. I just don't know if he's talented enough to beat out C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord. Um, what, did, what do you know about McCord? And what do you think Ohio State fans should be excited most about? Because like you said, five-star quarterbacks of this pedigree don't pick Ohio State all that often, not as much as you might assume that they would. Um, what what is the biggest reason Ohio State fans should be excited about this kid? He's honestly probably the one I, I know the most about because um, I got to go to his high school in Philadelphia and spent some time with him there. I've talked to him a couple times on the phone. I've written a few stories about him. C.J. Strauss in California and Jack Miller from Arizona. So like my my ability to kind of learn much about them in the recruiting process was was kind of limited. Um, Philadelphia is just easier to get to. I'm actually from there. So um, it worked out well that I got to go see Kyle when he was in high school. And, and I like him a lot. He's got he's got a confidence to him that I think can maybe border on, on cockiness if you don't like understand what you're walking into. But he's a kid who played at a powerhouse program, had a ton of success, um, plays with a lot of really good players, I think is not accustomed to, to failure. Um, but, but even with that said, you know, he, I think he is a pretty hard worker. I think he's earned everything that he's had. And he's very talented. You watch him on on film, and I'm by no means an expert recruit or a quarterback evaluator, but he seems to throw with a, a level of anticipation that I think is pretty rare for a kid at that at his stage in his development. And frankly, probably has that skill at a, at a little bit of a of a better clip than even C.J. Stroud and, and Kyle McCord do, or excuse me, C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller do. And, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Kyle McCord showed up on campus in January as like the most talented sort of raw thrower of the group. But it's, there's obviously more to it. Um, C.J. Stroud's a good athlete. Jack Miller has a really strong arm and, and is really accurate in his own right. Both those guys have more experience with the Heisman's playbook and more physically advanced. So, so Kyle McCord is still behind the eight ball, but that arm of his, I think, is going to be a pretty good equalizer for him. Um, were you surprised at all that Ryan Day and the staff did not get more involved in the McKenzie Miltons or anyone like that uh, in terms of the transfer portal to just have some sort of veteran presence um, competing with these guys? Uh, I, I didn't think they would swing that big. So, so no, like on, on names like that. Um, I thought maybe it would be possible, and I still think it's possible, that they go and look for a guy – who is, uh, and this is a hard profile to find, I think, but but a veteran player who doesn't really have any expectation of starting if he were to come to Ohio State. And they kind of hit the jackpot a little bit with that two years ago when they got a kid named Gunnar Hoke from Kentucky, who was a, a native of Dublin, Ohio, which is a Columbus suburb, loved Ohio State, just wasn't recruited by Ohio State out of high school. Went to Kentucky for a few years and graduated, was a grad transfer, and he was like perfectly fine with coming to Ohio State with zero expectation that he would start. I mean, I mean, there was probably very little expectation that he would ever even get on the field, and he only played just a handful of snaps um, over the two years that, that he was in Columbus. But he, he was a, an older guy who I think brought some leadership to their quarterback room 
into the practice field. And I think if Ryan Day could find that, mm-hmm. he would absolutely take it. But that that's hard to find. Um, but in terms of going out and finding somebody that could like start for them right away, um, unless it was someone like a Justin Fields, which didn't appear to be available this year, uh, I don't think Ryan Day would do that. I, I think he is pretty keen on, on recruiting his own guy out of high school which he hasn't done yet in, in two years as a head coach thus far, recruiting his own guy out of high school and developing him and setting that player up to be the starter at Ohio State for two or three years. Um, Ohio State, it's not just the quarterback room, um, and we can wind down here, Bill. Um, when you look at the amount of talent and the amount of production they're losing from a year ago and just how this team was built last year versus where they are going into this fall, do you think the staff – is looking at 2021 not as like a we're not going to compete but like looking at it as like hey if we go 10 and 2 go to the big 10 championship game but we're not a real playoff contender we're we're just like a top eight top 10 team this is a rebuild year rebound we like we we got the recruits coming in but mm-hmm. it's just this year is just it's not realistic for the the amount of youth on this on this roster right now to really compete for for a title like they have in years past. Do you think they're preparing for that kind of dip a little bit? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Um, I I think I, I get I get what you're saying, and I and I actually I agree with with quite a bit of it. They are they are losing a lot, and it starts with Justin Fields at yes. quarterback. Um, and and the way the way that I've kind of described it is, is maybe I view it a little bit like a bridge year, like, you yes. know, or a gap year, a gap year, but not in the sense that you're going to be like two, two, 10 and two at Ohio state. Yeah. Gap year like, at Ohio state is like 10 and two, 11 and one, <laughs> but uh, uh, t- 10 and two at Ohio state is like sky is falling. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's like help healthy or realistic. That's just the, the nature of, of the beast here. Mm. If you lose two games, people don't know what to do with themselves. So I don't, I don't think they're quite in that mindset. I, I do think maybe on some level in the back of his mind, Ryan Day might think like, okay, maybe we're like a year away, and this is mm-hmm. a year where we'll spend building up and we'll get this quarterback ready. They have to do um, – they've done some better recruiting on defense, but but I think a lot of the best players on that side of the ball, especially in the secondary, are going to be really young. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're not going to be quite ready um, for, for the bright lights just yet. But, but the fact of the matter is that they're still the class of the Big Ten, and it's mm-hmm. not close. So – even even an Ohio State team that's built like this is probably still going to go eleven and one. And if you go eleven and one, win the Big Ten, probably have a win against Oregon at home under your belt. Like you're going to the playoff. Even if you're not quite ready for it, you're still going to go to the playoff. And we've seen that happen with Ohio State before. It happened in 2016. Um, that team, just if you sort of took it in a vacuum, was not a playoff caliber team, and and that was worn out when they finally got on the field against Clemson, but it came down to like, well, who else are you going to put in? Like they, and I, I think that's going to happen sometimes with Ohio state. So I fully expect them to get to the playoff uh, again this year, just because I kind of expect that every year, but with getting to the playoff and actually being built to win a national title are two very different things. And I'm not sure that they're going to be built to win a national title until I have a better understanding of where exactly they are quarterback and maybe, how these pieces sort of fit together on defense because they did not have a championship caliber defense last year. Last thing we'll wrap up here, bro. Um, you have to make a prediction right now. It is okay. March 15th, 2021. Who is under center? Not week one. That's a boring answer. That is, that is a boring Ooh. answer at Ohio State. Who is under center in week nine of the college football season for Ohio State? Man, um, I think it's going to be Stroud. Okay. Um, I I I don't think it's going to be Jack Miller. 
I really believe that Kyle McCord, even though he's a true freshman, has a legitimate shot at winning the job. And I have if this was if this is going to enter Ryan Day's evaluation process or not. But if he picks Kyle McCord, keeping the other two guys, I, I think, is almost impossible. Because why would they stick around while some true freshman who just showed up here three months ago took their job? So I think the health of the room and the long term, the long term health of your room on, on some level might factor into it. But my pick of Stroud is mostly just that I think he's got a really good combination of athleticism and, and throwing ability. And there's just like a, there's a thing about CJ that's kind of hard to define. There's like a smoothness to his game where it looks kind of effortless for him and he doesn't appear to get rattled very often. Now that was at the high school level and college is different, but some of the stuff that I hear makes me think that maybe that's translated for him in college too. So I, I would be surprised if it's not CJ Shrell. Man, this feels like uh, Jake from Justin Fields at Ohio State. This is what it sounds like to me. That's, that's what you're the, describing. That's the f- I think, yeah, so there's there's a couple of fears of play with Ohio State fans at the moment. It's One is that it's, okay, we have this competition, Ryan Day picks his guy, and then what if two years from now it then turns out that he picked the wrong guy, which I think on some level you could say Kirby Smart did yes. with Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. Um, so there, I think there's a little bit of worry about that, and then there's also worry about the idea of, okay, say this battle plays out, you pick hypothetically Stroud, but all three guys are still on the roster in the fall. What happens when C.J. Stroud throws two interceptions against Oregon and people know that there's a capable quarterback behind him that maybe should be getting some playing time, and how does Ryan Day manage that? Because that's the other thing that's not happened here in a few years. There's not really been a viable backup option yeah. at Ohio State probably since 2017 when Dwayne Haskins was behind J.T. Barrett. So if, if Haskins played poorly into 18 or if Justin Fields played poorly the last two years, there was no clamoring for the backup to come in because everybody knew that backup was not nearly as good as a starter. That could be very different this fall. And I'm kind of fascinated to see how that would play out at Ohio State, too. Interesting. All right, Bill. Well, how do we check out your work this week at theathletic.com? Yeah, you can just uh, follow me on Twitter at BillLandis25, uh, or you can go to theathletic.com, you know, search my name there, click on the Ohio State tab. Uh, spring practice starts on Friday, so we got some preview stuff going on. And uh, also writing a little bit about the Buckeye basketball team, which is a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. So a lot going on right now. All right. Well, go do that. And if you do not already have a subscription to The Athletic, unsubscribe from this podcast because it's a great subscription site <laughs> and you should go ahead and do that and support good work. Um, thank you, Bill, for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to check in again soon. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Chase. Have a good one. back on the chase Thomas podcast and i am now joined by a first timer gabby gowdy gabby i just did an alliteration there did not mean mm-hmm. to do so but i did it good evening how are you i'm good how are you pretty good pretty good um are you all up to speed on just the the craziness that is day one of nfl free agency because i've already stopped looking at stuff like i saw on my phone before it got started that bud dupree and the titans are coming to the deal and i'm like no not doing this. I'm not getting sucked back in. I am a person who prefers to just wait until it's all over. And then I'll just go through and look at everything and make my notes and read the smart pieces yeah. and then do everything. I, the people who are online all day and you're an online person, Gabby, far more than me. Uh, how do you do it? Um, I don't know how I do it. I'd like to not look at my mentions that much is how yeah. I do it usually. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. Um, 
that I don't know. I just I always am fascinated by people who are way more um, involved and way like you have a strong social media presence and um, you work with Fandle. So like, what is the background on what you're doing right now? And how would you describe what you do? Um, what I do is I make sports memes mm-hmm. on the internet. Okay. I try to I try to be funny. Like I know my facts and I know a lot of things, but I mm-hmm. like to be funny with it because like people see the same stats every single day, yes. but you're not seeing the same memes every day because memes are original and you can make them up. Stats everybody can access those. That is true. It's it, you got to find something different to kind of make yourself stand out, and it's hard because if you find your voice and you find what works and what doesn't, and like I've just doing over 600 of these podcasts like you kind of figure out what you like to do yeah. what works but also like some things i found work and i'm like i hate it i hate doing this but it definitely same. works <laughs> same what do we do with that gabby what do we do i just gotta suck it up sometimes i guess i guess um i'm well, right you are a big cleveland browns fan i if yes, i'm not mistaken. i am okay so I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, so we're we're in the same boat. Just all kinds of sadness. The factory of sadnesses, if you will. Um, however, your team had a very good fall, very good season, made the playoffs, ended that drought. You have some really great players. You mm-hmm. have stability for the first time in forever. Andrew Barry seems like a great GM. You like him. Kevin Stefanski, solid. But if you're in Andrew Barry's shoes right now, how would yeah. you handle free agency? Well, I mean, I think he's done a good job so far. I mean, we've only gotten one person, mm-hmm. but it's a very good signing. Now, would I have liked some of the other people that have gone today? Yes, I would have, but he's also very smart. Like, they've gotten paid a lot of money, and, like, we don't need to pay those people that much money. We have other pieces. Who are you singling we out have, there? I'm talking about every defensive end that got paid over, like, 15 mil. <laughs> Which can I interest you in a Dante Fowler Jr.? Um, I mean, nah. No. How about a Tack McKinley? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June sixth. Only on Showtime. A Vic mm. Beasley. Hey, like, I like our guys. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it. Yes. But I think we're okay. I think, like, that's one of the biggest things for um, the Cleveland fans right now. They're like, oh, my God, we need defense. We need this. We need that. We mm-hmm. need that. But, like, they forget about all the people that we have that are injured. Yeah. So. Okay. So what would you say are the biggest needs heading into this offseason, heading into free agency, heading into the draft? What are you circling as the biggest needs for this Browns team? The biggest needs, uh, probably like a linebacker would be cool. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know what's going on with like that. I feel like a lot of people are okay with the linebackers that we have, but I'm like, come on, maybe someone a little better, more fun. I think that's one of our biggest things. It's just defense all around. Offense, we're pretty solid. So you're not worried about anything with the offense right now? No, nothing at all. Not even the offensive line, not OBJ's future. Um, OBJ, favorite player on the team, mm-hmm. offensive line, one of the uh, literally maybe the best line in the NFL. So I'm not even worried about them right now. And like they're going to be expensive eventually, but like we're trying to win a Super Bowl now, not in two years. So like let's stick with what we have. 
Are you certain Baker Mayfield is the quarterback? No. No. Oh, oh that was quick. That, that was quick. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. You want to get in I'm, on the Deshaun Watson. Hysteria. Oh, my God. If they said, like, I see people on the internet, like Browns fans even, and, like, I get it. You guys are, we're loyal. We're loyal. But, like. They love the commercials. Hey, if they said Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson straight up, if you don't do that, you're, like, insane. Well, yeah, but that's not how it would go. It would not be. Well, I know, I know, but like, yeah. there's Browns fans that think like, there's Browns fans that oh, there are Browns fans that like, hey, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's insane. But it's also just like, I understand Browns fans' perspectives where it's like, we went through Kelly Holcomb, we went through Tim Couch, we went through so many dudes. Jeff Garcia, I feel like, was a Browns quarterback in my lifetime. Tim Rattay, I feel like, was a Browns quarterback in my lifetime. I could just name like, let's name some guys, and that was probably a Browns quarterback for a week. Um, and they finally found one and no, he's not top five. He's not even top 10 probably, but he's solid. And the scheme that Stefanski runs is really conducive for the way he wants to play and the play action. It really helps guys and it helps him. Got a strong running, yeah. running game, good offensive line. It's like, they're, they're just like, he, can we just be like happy? A, can we be normal? Yeah. Can we be a normal football team for a couple of years? I think that's yeah, probably Yeah, he has like a nice job. If mm-hmm. I was a quarterback, I would love to be in Cleveland. I think it would be a great place to be Mm -hmm. so i don't hate baker everybody thinks that i hate baker they're just mad at me for when i said hey like you're really bad when um we lost to the ravens and the steelers by um combined of probably like 40 points plus true or false baker mayfield is the cleveland browns quarterback three years from now can't answer that i think it's going to be true i think we're going to sign him soon but okay I hope he is. I hope he is, because, like, what else would we do, you know? Well, it's the Browns, so I just feel like... Yeah. I, I, I know, know, I know, but, like, what But what else would we do, so... I know, it's just... The biggest concern I have about the NFL in the next couple years is the Russell Wilson stuff just popping out of nowhere, kind of, and the Deshaun Watson stuff, and Sam Darnold moving after a couple of years, Goff moving after a couple of years. I'm kind of concerned about the quarterback movement and where we're heading with this, because... I think one of the They're best getting paid things, too much money? No, I think it's more... One of the things that people love about college sports and one of the things that they really hate as of late is the transfer portal. And it's not because they don't agree with it because I, I think any just good-natured fan understands that this is good for kids and if it was your son, you would want him to be able to go everyone to go um, yeah. and be happy. However... It does suck when your guy moves into the portal and you can't get attached to anybody and it's increasingly more difficult to keep up with who's on who and who's entering the portal and who's staying in your at your university. Like it's really hard to become attached to these guys that you used to be able to be attached to for three to four years. This is the biggest cash cow and the best thing about the NFL is that when you find your franchise quarterback historically you get them for 15 years. Like, you just get to be a fan of this guy oh, yeah. forever. And it's, it seems so nice and so fun. And then yes. all of a sudden, it's going all kinds of crazy now. Right. And now it's just like, your franchise quarterback, who took you to a Super Bowl, could be gone in two years. And one guy could just get unhappy, and that's it. And you're like, wait, what? Like, if you're a Texans fan, you're like, oh, I just get to enjoy Deshaun Watson for 20 years. And it's like, nope, just kidding. Nope, you got to enjoy him for five. And... That See is a bad by. thing for the NFL. That is a bad thing. If quarterbacks start play, just playing musical chairs, like the NFL cannot yeah, have musical chairs. I get that too. But then at the same time, your organization needs to have a little bit of respect for you and oh, not for sure. every single offensive weapon that you have. 
absolutely cal mcnair and the ownership problem that is part of this and like it's complicated and i 100 percent get it if i'm deshaun watson i'm saying is as an nfl fan and what i suspect nfl fans around the country will start to think about is just like man like <laughs> I, I really enjoyed just knowing the nfl was like dan marino was on the dolphins Peyton manning was on the colts tom brady was on the patriots like you just go up and yep. down ben roethlisberger was a stealer like it was easy and it's easy yeah. for casual fans to bite their teeth into this stuff is that like they know where the big quarterbacks are and it's just appointment viewing but if they're like wait deshaun watson's on who now Russell Wilson's on who now? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. But I feel like we don't have that kind of like same vibe though for like quarterbacks either. Like our quarterbacks are more mobile. They have way more skills. They're like, those are really good quarterbacks. But mm-hmm. I think like the game of the quarterback is like shifting too. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, how does OBJ factor into this offseason for you? Do you think he is a priority still for this organization? There was trade rumors. Like, do you think he is still someone the Browns want to keep around? And do you think the Browns should keep around? I know he's your favorite player, but take off your subjective lenses and <laughs> put on this the objective lenses in lenses. What do you think? I think that he should stay with the team. Mm-hmm. I think he should be a player that we should keep. I feel like he is one of the most talented players on our team. And I feel like back to the thing of Baker, like he did a really phenomenal job this season, but I think like the OBJ thing says more about Baker than it does Odell. Interesting. Why? Because that is a top wide receiver. You should be able to give him the ball. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, I think that says more about Baker than Odell because you can put Odell on any other team and he's going to be like leading, receiving. Put him with Deshaun Watson, that team would be unstoppable. Yeah, I... I'm curious what happens with Odell. I I enjoy watching him play football. I, I very much do. And him and Jarvis Landry in this group. And it, there's a lot of skill position guys that I really like watching with the Browns. And they play a different style in the two running back monster there. They're, they're interesting. And they were a fun watch this year. I enjoyed watching them. Um, but when you look at the AFC North, Gabby, and you look at Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. for another year, who was objectively bad last year. And that is yes. something that... I am curious to see if they really do believe in Ben Roethlisberger for another year or they're going to trade up for a quarterback or they make a trade for the Sam Darnolds of the world or something like that. Or they really do want to run it back one more time, even though they saw how this season ended and just think that maybe they can get him healthy in a full offseason. He'll be okay. But then you look at Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. They're losing a lot of bodies on both sides of the ball. There are a lot of changes in Baltimore, but it's hard to ever just really discount them and where they're going. When you think about Cleveland and where they are and you think about Baltimore and you think about Pittsburgh, where where do you rank them in the hierarchy heading into next season? Um, I Okay, so she just want me to do the whole AFC North? No, 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 no. We don't have to include the Bengals. The Bengals are fourth. Okay. The Bengals are not good. No. They like they're two years away from being two years away. Yeah, so um, I think that the Browns are going to win the division. Not being not being my homer self, I really mm-hmm. think they are. Ravens also very good. They'll get a playoff spot, and Steelers are just bad. <laughs> They're just not going to be it. They're not going to be it. I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out, and I just I think we saw it a little bit where they were so one dimensional. I just don't think you can be that in today's NFL. I just don't think you can survive you have to be able to be multi-dimensional you have to be able to play a different way and that running game i guess we'll have to see what they do 
on that side of things. I mean, they're losing. I don't know how much losing Munchak really hurt them and what that will continue to do for them moving on to Denver and where that offensive line is now versus where it was three years ago. But when that offensive line struggles, Ben Roethlisberger has no chance. Like, there's just no avenue to them winning football games. No, and that's facts. Yeah. So I am, I'm right there with you. I am concerned, very heavily concerned about Pittsburgh, and I'm not as concerned about Cleveland and Baltimore right now. I'm very fascinated to see how they the re- retool, and I think Cincinnati's just, <laughs> it's going to take some time uh, to fix that. Um, your biggest, spiciest take that you think, or prediction for the Browns offseason is what, Gabby? Um, I feel like they're not going to sign Richard Higgins. They're not going to resign him. Okay. Do you agree with that? I don't agree or disagree with that. Like, I just feel like, yeah, he's a good asset to our team, but we also have a lot of other things that we need to do and go for. And I feel like he can also be a really great asset to another team somewhere, anywhere. I like him a lot, but I just feel like we aren't going to give him the money that he wants. Yeah. I I always liked Richard Higgins. Um, the Falcons yeah, he's have a no great guy. Well, they have no. We have no use. We have yeah. Kevin Ridley and Julio Jones and Hayden Hurst yeah. and Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus and just all kinds of receivers that um, we. There's no room. No room yeah. in Atlanta for Rashard Higgins. But I I would wish him well, and he would make a lot of sense at a lot of places, like even New England. Just keep adding adding guys. If you're going to well, be Kendrick right Bourne, go uh, go get Rashard Higgins. He would be great there, but like I I don't know. I just feel like we're not going to pay him what he wants. So yeah. Um, Gabby, what can we check out from you across the internet this week? Oh, I just posted a little bit ago. I posted an interview with our fullback, Mm -hmm. Johnny Stanton on my Twitter. I posted that and that was really fun. Also this week, Thursday at 1 PM on Fandle's Instagram, I am doing a live with three other women. We are talking about the bracket and our predictions for that too. Who do you have winning at all? Mm, I don't know who I have winning at all yet. Probably Gonzaga. Bold, bold take, Gabby. Really going out <laughs> on a limb. The team that, let well, me check my notes here, has not lost a basketball game this season. They're so good. Why would I not pick them? I think Ohio State, Texas, Illinois, and Gonzaga, that's my final four. I noticed not Tennessee. Yeah. Not Tennessee. So not an error. Not a, not a mistake. No, not Tennessee. <laughs> Yikes. Well, um, I, I think you should reconsider. Tennessee, we're we're coming. Like uh, we had a great showing in the SEC tourney, five seed. Um, just it's great. Um, starting off with Oregon State, gonna beat Oklahoma State, gonna beat all the black and orange teams on their way to the Sweet Sixteen. Love that. Yeah, I, I, I just yeah. I don't know how you could go wrong. And I think I don't know. I think Ohio State is a really good pick for that side of the bracket because they have the easiest road there i don't mm-hmm. think baylor's that great baylor's good but i don't think they're that great baylor's good watch a lot of baylor they're we'll they're annoying they're, they're good i uh, i don't know i feel like this is gonna be a very boring march madness in terms of like i bet you like the top four like at least three one seeds make it to the final four is my guess yeah but um we shall see we shall see all right well gabby this has been great thank you so much for making the time this evening i greatly appreciate it um don't be a stranger and uh we'll have to check in on the browns again real soon yeah thanks for having me on all right we're back on the chase thomas podcast i am still the aforementioned chase thomas and i am joined by a first timer this evening on part three of tonight's episode Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. 
Alex, good evening, sir. How are you? Chase, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this isn't the last time you have me on either. No, you never know. You never know. Um, <laughs> no pressure or anything, Alex. No pressure. Right, right. Um, how do people check out your work thus far? How, do, how would you introduce the podcast? And how would, you, uh, how would you sell people on the Indiana Pacers and listening to your podcast? Well, I think there's a lot of great Pacers podcasts out there. But if you like... You know, just just talking about how the team is playing. If you like looking at future stuff, if you like looking at you know uh, how this team could be better, like what kind of trades they could make, all this kind of stuff. We we try to throw out different trade ideas. We try to do transactional stuff. I know that a lot of fans are excited by that, but we also like to cover the team and have fun with it. Don't try to take it too seriously as far as getting too nitty gritty with analytics and numbers. I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that are great that have a lot of analytics, but uh, we, we get into it a little bit with the, with the analytics, but not too much. But yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a Pacers podcast that has a pretty good pulse on the team, uh, we have a lot of great guests on our show. Uh, and I'm just really grateful for that. And a lot of those guests make the show uh, worth listening to even more. And uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at setting the pace three and, Wherever you get your podcast, uh, check that out. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Alex Golden NBA. So uh, I'm always I'm always chiming in my thoughts about the Pacers. Well, there you go. I, I'm about it. Um, and don't forget, <laughs> folks, you can listen to this podcast by going to ChaseOnsPodcast.com and supporting us on Patreon by being a Patreon member at Patreon.com slash ChaseThomasWriter. And like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash ChaseThomasWriter. And Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Apple Podcasts because the term is follow now, not subscribe, Alex. They've they've changed it up. It uh, it means that uh, it it tells people that uh, there's no monetary aspect to to subscribing to a podcast. Subscribing means money, and following means hey, it's free. Um, <laughs> what is going on with the Indiana Pacers, Alex? You don't you may not be familiar with this, but I have backed the Indiana Pacers four years. I've okay. Been, let me make the case for the Pacers before we get into this, because I think this is important. The Pacers are one of the few teams in the NBA that always play eight to nine guys who are competent NBA players. They don't play anyone bad. And this is an important cog to the regular season. Like you have to be it like to win in the regular season, to do the Toronto Raptors thing, to do the Milwaukee Bucks thing, to do things like that. You have to just play a lot of, veterans and a lot of guys and a lot of role players who know their role and are good at that one particular thing but every five-man unit that you plug and play you know that all five on the court are at the worst average nba players like if you turn to a pacers game like when it was oladipo and brogdon and mcconnell and um insert holiday here turner sabonis um mcdermott just up and down the list you're like oh right like there's never a situation where there is one just guy who just kills your five-man unit. There's never a guy in there that just kills you. And this year, they've gone through some problems, and part of it was trading Victor Oladipo and Karis LeVert being out and not having that production, not having um, the kind of backcourt back court production they've had in years past, and like they're kind of thin on the wing, losing TJ Warren. Um, also a big part, uh, we called him the bubble Michael Jordan, if I remember correctly. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Suddenly, like those injuries just added up and they've fallen off a little bit. But is that the fairest way to characterize the Indiana Pacers of the last couple of years? Oh, yeah. I think that they're a team that is built on not having a superstar, but having really competent players. 
uh, regular season success is what they go for. Uh, they obviously want to make the playoffs every year. You don't see the Pacers tank. And I think if you actually go back to like the early 90s and look at playoff appearances, the Pacers are right up there at the top. And they're actually right up there at the top as well with Eastern Conference Finals appearances as well. It's just, you know, it's just not in their M.O. to tank. So right now, you know, it's it's been a it's been a weird COVID season, obviously, a lot of games in, in a short amount of time. And then the Indiana Pacers, like you said, they did. They did move on from Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert. And at that same time, just a few games before that trade, we heard that T.J. Warren was going to be out indefinitely. So, you know, losing losing your two your, your two and your three out there really will hurt your team. You're starting two and three. And having to play two bench guys that, you know, Justin Holliday, Doug McDermott, they're good players, but they're better off the bench. And when you don't have guys that can really get out there and, and create for their, for themselves and create for others and you have more, you know, skill set guys, uh, I think Justin's more of a, a defensive guy who can knock down threes. McDermott's just an offensive guru. He's a, he's a three-point Usually he's a three-point specialist. He's been struggling this year, but since the restart, he's been shooting at a much higher rate. And then he just moves without the ball so well. Him and Sabonis have a great two-man game. So it's just been really difficult. The Pacers have played really well for like the first three quarters, first 40 minutes of a game, but it's the last eight minutes where they just completely fall apart. So I just – I look at this team and I think, you know, getting Levert back against the Suns last Saturday was huge. And, and then hopefully if they can get Warren back by the playoffs um, – you know, they could be a team that that gives that first-round matchup a little bit of a challenge. I'm not sure exactly where they'll fall come that point in time, but uh, they, they've got a tough march ahead of them. They do, but they're getting Karis LeVert back. And when you think about his game and what he was doing in Brooklyn and how he fits in this Indiana offense with Bajorkian, I'm not going to pretend to ever know how to pronounce your coach's last name. Um, it's all right. It's We're going to call him Coach Nate. On this podcast. That, that, that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> um, how will Karis LeVert fit into this offense stylistically? Do you do you estimate? Well, I you know this is probably a basic answer, but just someone that can actually create isn't what they really need. Um, their best on-ball creator is T.J. Warren, who's out right now, so it's going to be Karis. Now, and I think that you could maybe make the argument that Karis is better than Warren at creating, but you know you talk about Michael Jordan bubble and uh, that. I mean, it was just he was the one that could do that. And really, I think Brogdon is the only other guy that can do that somewhat, but he's not great at it. I think Brogdon plays well off the ball, and he can still kind of be the point guard. But I think Levert having the ball in his hands, he, he sees the floor pretty well. Not like a great playmaker, but he's a good playmaker. Uh, a guy that gets downhill, a guy that can put pressure on defenses is really where I think he's going to fit in. Just having a competent score, uh, kind of similar to Victor Oladipo, someone that can – you know, put pressure on that defense. I think that's where Levert's really going to fit in. Once he starts, you know, knocking the three down and, and getting his legs back under him after being off for a couple months with the surgery that he had, I, I think that he'll be fine. I think he'll fit in seamlessly with this team. It's just a matter of I'm, I'm really curious to see how him and TJ Warren fit together. But so far, I think one of the biggest things that we saw from just the, the debut game was him attacking the glass on the offensive side. His offensive rebounding was good. His defensive rebounding was good. But just being able to put pressure, and there was one where he had a beautiful backdoor cut. I think he sees the floor very well. Very smart basketball player, and, and you know he's not in a top twenty, top twenty-five type of player. But you know he's still young, and he's still got time to you know develop into that. Hopefully, so I think the Pacers are just taking a risk on a guy that fits that age group of most of their core, 
And I, I think offensively he'll be just fine with them. Do you think they've kept Miles Turner for too long? Did, has the ship sailed for them to get really, really great value for Miles Turner? Well, well, see, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't ever know if there was great value for Miles. Um, we, we saw. I never the bought the pos- Jalen Brown for Miles Turner stuff. I never bought that. Yeah, and then it kind of turned into Sabonis for Jalen Brown, which I mean, Sabonis hadn't proven he was an all-star. He was still a guy coming off the bench, and you know, last year was when he ascended. And I think, I think Miles has gotten better under the New Yorkan system, uh, Coach Nate, as you would say, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and. You know, he, he is a an elite shot blocker. There's no doubt about it. He's actually pretty decent at switching on to, to smaller guys and does a good job of keeping them in front of him. And if he gets a beat, he's long enough to reject the shot in recovery. Uh, offensively, I just think that there's there's just not that consistency on the offensive end. He's a very streaky three-point shooter. If he could knock that down at a higher rate, I think that he'd be much more valuable. His, his low post game has gotten better throughout his career, but it's still not something – where you're just kind of like, hey, go post up. We're going to throw the ball to you. And so, you know, it's not really fair to sit there and be like, oh, how does Miles do against like the Joel Embiid's and the Kolejokic's? Because he's just not in that level. He's not that level of player. And that's not a knock on him. I just, when I think about him, I mean, he's still a young player. And the Pacers aren't really ever going to just just give him away because he's a guy they drafted, a guy they invested in. He's a good guy in the locker room, good character guy, good, you know, off the court. I think that. This community, I mean, there's a lot of fans that are frustrated with him at times, but there's a lot that love him too. And I I just think the front front office, they've clearly tried to move him the last couple of years. They've looked at different scenarios. Obviously, the Gordon Hayward stuff this year, there were some rumors last year about maybe trying to get involved in a Pelicans-Hawks trade, a three-team trade to get him. So, I mean, obviously, the two-man center lineup with him and Sabonis is not ideal for today's NBA I've I've heard the argument that the Pacers should keep Miles over Sabonis from some different people, just because of the the, the defense that he provides and Sabonis's defense is there's a lot um, to be desired there with with Sabonis's defense. But yeah, I, I, as far as keeping him too long, he's still I believe 24 years old. So maybe he'll be 25 this year this month I believe. So you know, still a young guy. I don't think that it's too late to um, move on from him if the right deal comes. But I, I think that there are teams that will be interested in him just because of his ability to block shots and um he can be a really a good three-point shooter when he's when he's hitting it's just that inconsistency can be a little bit frustrating do you estimate the twin towers will be together through this time next year let's say Ooh, that's a tough one i mean i really thought they were going to make a move on one of them this year i really felt like miles and oladipo were the two that were going to be traded and i think it was pretty clear that that's kind of what the front office felt too based on what happened and what didn't happen i'm moving i'm moving on from oladipo but I, they're big I, fans I know of each other correct they are they love each <laughs> other they're, they're like best friends it's kind of like uh <sighs> it's like the davis brothers back in the day you know they were big fans of each other but mm-hmm. when we had kevin pritchard on our podcast he he talked about wanting to see this core grow together and they're not really going to have that opportunity this year because Warren more than likely won't make it back till the end of April, beginning of May with his foot injury. Um, if he has any setbacks, he could miss the entire season. So they could always have that, you know, right there like, oh, we never got to see them fully healthy and maybe run it back. But I think if there's a deal that makes a lot of sense and there's teams that are, you know, really trying to pry miles away, um, I think they'll listen to offers. But unless they get blown away by an offer or think that an offer really makes a lot of sense, then they'll probably stay pat. Um, I, I, I just think that 
you can probably play the two. I, the biggest problem is they have Gogo Batadze, right, the guy they drafted two years ago, and he's just not been able to get consistent run because, one, he's been a little bit rusty. He's been inconsistent. And, you know, trying to play these, you know, try to play modern basketball with three centers on your roster and give them all significant minutes is just not realistic. So, I mean, I would say it's probably 50-50 that he's here at this point next year which would probably be after the trade deadline. But, I mean, they like each other. They kind of fit in a sense. of They kind of complement one another in what they do skill-wise. But um, with Warren back, I think that the goal is to probably play him more at small ball four and see what they can do. And maybe they can kind of stagger their minutes a little bit, uh, Miles and, and Domas's minutes a little bit, so they can you know, not play as much together. But ultimately, I think the best thing for this team moving forward is to make a decision on one of them. Uh, obviously, I think the fan base would be more disappointed if they moved on from Sabonis than Turner. But at the same time, I, I think they just have to make the right move for this team. And uh, whatever move that is, I uh, I trust they'll they'll make that one. The reason the Pacers are three and seven in their last ten is what? Ooh, just they're just collapsing in late in the late moments of games, and I think a lot of that's just fatigue i mean they, they've been playing a lot of games their their starters have been playing a lot of minutes no oladipo trading him and not having that lavert or that warren out there to get them a bucket that's been the problem they've been too too predictable uh teams are kind of stacking the paint on sabonis and the pacers are an inconsistent three-point shooting team so it's not like you really have someone that can you know sabonis if you watch him if he gets a triple double most games uh it's because guys are knocking down their three-point shots if they're not then he's going to get his rebounds and his points, but the assist, you know, it's a lot of misses. And mm-hmm. Brogdon really hit a cold streak there. I mean, earlier in the season, I thought Brogdon played some of his best basketball with Oladipo because teams, you know, not necessarily were focusing so much on Oladipo, but it just they couldn't help off. And so there's been so much helping off, and really it's just like these are their two guys. And I felt like Bjorkren was really kind of force-feeding the ball a little bit too much through those two guys. But at the same time, there weren't a lot of other options. I mean, what are you going to do? Rely on T.J. McConnell and Justin Holiday to try to bail you out and get you, you know, thirty points a game combined? I think it's it's difficult. So, I really think that that's that's what it is. They just don't have that guy, that closer. And so, I think they're hoping that um, Lavert, being that wing type of player, coming back can eventually help close the gap on some of those games because they've been in a lot of games. They've been in a lot of games towards the end that just fall apart at the end. And I think having a you know a guy that can just put his head down and get a basket, that's going to make all the difference in the world for this team. Yeah, and I think that's an underrated part of this. Like you can scheme as much as you can, but like with this kind of limitations, without Levert, without Oladipo, without um, CJ Warren, it's just there's just limitations to what the Pacers can be. Um, what has been the biggest thing you've noticed this season watching the Pacers without TJ Warren in the lineup? Well, they they miss they miss somebody that can defend bigger guards or bigger mm. wings, and that's something that you know we've looked at. Like, if you watch any of the Pacers' recent defensive schemes under Coach Nate, you know you've got Malcolm Brogdon out there pressuring Ben Simmons five feet behind the three point line. Um, we know Ben Simmons is not one of those guys that's going to put the ball up behind the three willingly. You know, if, if he's forced to, he'll do it, but. He's a guy that wants to get to the basket. And so some of the schemes have been really different. And I think, you know, they've been having to do some one three ones. I mean, uh, boxing ones, excuse me, not one three ones. And then some one two twos. They've been playing some weird different zones. I think just because they've, they don't have the guys to defend. 
And Warren, as as great as he is offensively, like putting up 53 points against the the Sixers in the bubble and you know making the all bubble team, and we really saw him ascend in that moment. His defense was just as important last year because of who he guards. And he's not like a lockdown all NBA defender, but he's someone that gives you size. And I think that you know Jeremy Lamb has really been struggling this season. Uh, he had a first good week back, but ever since then he's really been struggling. And they've been trying to play him at the small ball four with that second unit. And I just that's he's just not that type of player. But I think Warren, who's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, he can play that small ball four. So I think that you know they were envisioning him being able to play. And Kevin Pritchard said, I want to see Warren at the four more. Unfortunately, uh, with him being injured, we didn't get to see that. But uh, other than that, you know, if the shot clock's running down and you have five seconds left, there were so many times last year Warren bailed out the Pacers' offense by just hitting the stupid shot that didn't even look like a good shot. He's not one that draws fouls, but he will stop like five or six feet before the basket and throw up a floater, and he hits it a ton of times. So I just think that's the big thing on offense you're missing. Just he's a bucket getter. They don't have that, and uh, hopefully Lavert can be that, but. I mean, Warren, he just gets buckets, and uh, they, they miss that a lot on offense. Interesting. Um, is there a deadline addition outside of just the return of Karis LeVert um, that will help right this ship and get them out of the play tournament and closer to that 4 or 5 range where they probably belong? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think there's a deal like that. I, I think they could make a minor move if they made one. Uh, we've, we've been looking at some different trade ideas. Centered around, like, if the Pacers were going to be struggling and lose a lot of games, could they be sellers? You know what I mean? Because if they lose eight or nine games in a row with the schedule they have in March, I mean, you're looking at a team that could be pretty far out from the playoffs. So we looked at maybe if they sold high on McDermott, who's an expiring contract. But um, I mentioned Jeremy Lamb's not been playing very well. And there's not a lot that you're going to get for Jeremy at this point because he's $10.5 million. He's he shot the ball incredibly well this season, but he's really been going through a shooting slump the last couple of weeks, and his defense has probably been some of the worst defense I've seen in the NBA, and he's clearly the Pacers' worst defender. And this is something the Pacers you know, hang their hat on his defense. Um, and so maybe if they could get off of his money and free up some um, some room to go back and re-sign McDermott and McConnell next offseason by getting an expiring, that would make some sense. The only real trade that I think makes a ton of sense for the Pacers uh, that I could see in my head, like just doing up some mock trades, would be trade on Sacramento for uh, Bielitsa, uh, a guy who's got $7.5 million on his contract, I believe, and it's expiring this year. He's a guy that plays a, plays the four. The Pacers really don't have a four outside of Jakar Sampson, and they have three centers and a bunch of wings but no power forwards. So I think that's a guy that could make some sense. Um other than that, like trying to go out and get a Thad Young or going out and get a Larry Nance, the Pacers would have to give up too much, wouldn't be able to compete. I think the guy that I would personally like them to go after is Harrison Barnes, but it would take probably way more than they're willing to give up, especially salary-wise. So that's that's where I'm at with this team. But I definitely think that you know once they can get healthy and once they can get Warren back, I, I think that this is a team that can still put up a fight in the playoffs. Interesting. Last thing, we'll wrap up here. Um, why, why do you think it ultimately did not work out with Victor Oladipo? Why do you think they punted? Was it injury stuff? Was it personality stuff? Was it a combination of both? But there was just so much upside, so much potential with Oladipo leading the charge as the Puget three King 
during that uh, run a couple years ago when he was really vaunting himself into that MVP level, something the Pacers had just not had in a long time. And now he's gone and the injuries happened, the off-the-court stuff stuff happened, he wanted out. Um, why did it not work out? And do you think that's going to end up being one of the things that sets this franchise back from really getting back into the contention? No, I don't think so. I, I think that what really kind of started this whole thing was the injury that did happen. I mean, if you go back and you can see it's well-documented, Oladipo missed a lot of that December in 2018 in the 2018-2019 season with a knee injury. And so the Pacers, you know, doctor said, hey, you're good to come back. And, you know, he was still feeling a little bit of soreness, but I think he played through it. I just don't think he – I think he lost that level of trust with the Pacers training staff. And they allowed him to do all of his rehab in Miami. They didn't ask him to be here. Um, they really were trying to cater to him, letting him know, hey, you're our franchise player. Uh, we're we're going to try to do whatever we can to make sure you get back healthy. And I, I think during that time, and I think a lot of players go through this, when they're rehabbing with injuries, they're just being fed a lot of different things. Oh, you're never going to win in Indiana. You're never going to do this in Indiana. you got to get your way out of there. So, you know, I think that there were some personality issues with him and some of the guys in the locker room. I've I've been told that from some people that cover the team, that some of the guys did not get along with him. And whenever he was traded, it was like a sigh of relief. Um He's a guy that – I don't want to say this and, and, and be rude, but I think personally he just got a little full of himself. And honestly, I mean he he is de- determined to get to the Miami Heat based on all the reporting. I mean that's where he lives. He wants to be there. It's just I'm not sure if Miami feels the same way. So the Pacers knew that they didn't have a good shot of keeping him, but the Pacers tried everything they could. They made sure that whenever they brought in free agents and, and guys that traded for that nobody made more than Oladipo. Oladipo was still the highest paid player this season. Before he was traded, they wanted to make sure that he knew that he was the guy. But I think as he saw the team start to have success without him, um, he kind of had to take a back seat a little bit And as far as the off-court locker room leader because Malcolm Brogdon kind of took over that role. Malcolm kept saying, I'm the leader of this team. They brought me in for leadership. I think that could have rubbed Oladipo the wrong way. But ultimately, when you're asking guys uh, from other teams, hey, can I come play with y'all, and your teammates are hearing it, and it gets reported, whether you want to call the reports you know, true or not, I don't think that just gets back around without it being true. So in all seriousness, I just think that Oladipo wanted out. And quite frankly, the Pacers might have actually made out on this deal by getting Levert instead because he seems like um, a guy that really does seem determined to to work hard and wants to be here long term. How do we check out your work this week? I know we talked about it at the top of the pod, but uh, what can we do to look out for your work this week, Alex? Yeah, I mean, like I said, just follow me on Twitter, Alex Golden NBA. I'm over on Instagram at Alex Golden NBA as well. Uh, do pretty much all my Pacer stuff on Twitter though, and yeah, if if you're a fan of the Pacers, make sure you check us out at Setting the Pace Three and. Would love to hear from all of you guys that are listening. Any feedback is great, good, bad. We take it all, and we just want to make sure that our show keeps growing and that you uh, you fans enjoy it. All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend, and uh, we'll check back in on the Pacers again real soon. All right. Thanks, Chase. Appreciate it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. 
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.